Hello Tabletop Wargamers, and welcome to Tried and True, a podcast hosted by the Delaware War Machine community. Join us as we dive deep into topics around our favorite games, exploring methods and techniques proven to enhance anyone's gaming experience. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 11th episode of Tried and True. I am your host, Paul. I'm Andy. Andy, this is the uh, first episode that you and I are doing together. Is it? I know I've been on some group stuff before, right? No, no, but I mean, like, it's just literally just you and I for the first time. Okay. Well, happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. I love it. Thank you for joining us in the third episode of the Deep Dive into Privateer Press series. This has been a really amazing project. We're really, really happy with how it's going. We're finding that a lot of people are giving comments and kudos. They're really happy to see what's going on behind the curtains of Privateer Press. We want to take a moment to go ahead and thank More Than Dice for giving us a platform to share the good news. If you like listening to us, we ask you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We still have that Frozen Forge raffle that we're going to be doing. We're looking to get up to 500 subs, so you can go ahead and check us out. If you're a subscriber, to the youtube channel you'll be able to see all the battle reports the podcast all the good stuff and you know you give us your comments your likes the youtube algorithm says hey this is pretty cool stuff and pushes it out to other people who like war machine and other miniature tabletop war games we want to also take a moment to thank our patrons on patreon for helping us out with being able to do all those battle reports and if you didn't know you can go ahead and join us on patreon support the cause and hey when you're on the patreon you'll be able to go ahead and take a look at the artwork you get early releases of all the stuff and you'd be able to join up on our discord being our little like private chat talk to all the different people that are on try to true and it's a great time please help us be less in the red (laughs) please help (laughs) but at this time we're going to go ahead and introduce our third guest doug hamilton doug hamilton is the digital sculptor over at privateer press so doug go and take a moment and say hello to all your fans out there hello it's good to talk to everybody again it's been a little while since i've got to participate in any podcast so it's always nice to get back in touch with the community especially with convention season right in the middle of us right now yeah it's it's great to have you on it and i have to say when when i first started to talk with you i saw all the uh, st louis blues things i'm like oh man this is this is this is a guy i can definitely hang out with (laughs) yes love me or hate me i got i always support my team i think uh i think my wife erica was showing me uh uh, something else you sculpted it was like a, a beer tap thing yeah actually i did that with another war machine player chris johnson who does mechanical studios he had reached out to me last year to work on a project for anheuser-busch and the kansas city chiefs which was a travis kelsey bobblehead beer tap going to like 700 bars in the kansas city area so it was a it was a fun project to work on something different and uh you know anytime i can show a project like that with with the nfl and that it's feather in the cap yeah that's really cool i thought it was just an at-home hobby kind of thing but that's that's awesome that it's actually going to be used out there yeah it's 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 out there somewhere i haven't seen it because i don't i don't live close enough to Kansas city but i know they're they're out there in the wild his brother is eagle center and sort of a local hero here as well so they're that's they're famous true. everywhere that's right i remember that <laughs> and did uh did you end up like celebrating back in 2019 when they uh won the Stanley cup uh, oh, when when the Blues won the cup, absolutely. What's what's funny is the night the Blues won the cup, I had to fly to Seattle the very next morning for lock and load. So I <laughs> I left out at like 5 a.m. and I was decked out in all my gear and uh, <laughs> you know it was kind of cool because we got up there and everybody was excited in Seattle because they knew they had their team coming in a couple of years and everybody was super cool about congratulating us and you know great job and great victory uh, one of the restaurants i went to one of the bigger seafood places up there the manager was all excited for hockey coming to seattle and 
So when we got our check, all our appetizers had been comped, and it was great. I had a good God, time. It's, a, it's like your real people famous or something. <laughs> well, that was just because they were being nice because we, we, we chatted about a hockey for like 30 minutes waiting for our table. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, Doug, what we want to do on this episode is you know really kind of get a deep dive into what your role is over at Privateer Press and, you know, how you end up getting started and everything. So if you're all right, I, I wanted to start off, you know, we were talking on the side, right? We're talking hockey, but, you know, you mentioned, like, how did how did you end up getting into digital sculpting? Like, was it just something like a hobby that you picked up or did you go to a school for it? Like, like how how did you end up getting to where you are now? I actually, I went to school, I have a degree in uh, digital animation. And I started on that in 2007. And I'd always been into games. I've been I've been in a game since the early 80s when I picked up the red box Dungeons and Dragons second edition. I think it was second edition. It's been a long time. But I, I was always into the games and the miniatures and things like that. So in 2007, in the at age 37, I decided to make a career change and went back to school, got a bachelor's in digital animation. But about halfway through I suspected that sculpting was going to switch to digital and I had picked up some software and started to learn that thinking that maybe I'm, maybe I'm catching on to this ahead of time before it actually happens because 3d printers weren't, they weren't really good enough. There were, there were a few super high end that could, that could make miniature quality, but I started learning that software and I always wanted to work in, you know, work on games and miniatures. So it just kind of, it just kind of happened. And then how about you actually getting your job at Privateer Press? Because you mentioned that you were waiting in line for a Retribution Colossal. Was, was it Hyperion or Helios was the one you were looking for? It was um, it was Hyperion. Hyperion was the first one, right? I, I, I honestly don't know. Hyperion was the first one. So, Come on, rep player. I, I don't know my history of like model release. <laughs> well, and I, I don't I don't always remember names because sometimes the names change before releases or I'll get it and it, it's just got something generic or a placeholder. So but it was Hyperion. So I went to Gen Con that year that Hyperion was releasing and I had stayed up late working on my portfolio because I wanted to show it off. I think I had graduated earlier that year and I was trying to find a, a job and I had done I'd done a couple of very small miniature jobs for companies that I don't I don't know if they ever even put anything out. But I had worked on my portfolio and I was working on it that Wednesday night before I went to Gen Con. And this was before you carried your portfolio around on an iPad. You actually carried it around, you know, in, a, in like a folder and such. So I was looking for a place to print it and, of course, couldn't find any place to print it. So I went ahead, went to Gen Con with just some business cards and no portfolio. So while I was at Gen Con, I was in line with some press ganger friends of mine from Louisiana. And we're in this two hour, two and a half hour line. And Matt Wilson comes by couple different times to BS with people in line. And he's talking to my buddies because they're press gangers. And my buddies are like, oh, you should see his art. You know, he's really good. And Matt's <laughs> like, yeah, but he doesn't have anything to show me. So I was like, man, I really missed my opportunity here. You know, two different times Matt came by and I, I didn't have anything to show him. So I wait in line. I get up there. I get my Hyperion. I pick up a few other things for other friends. And I just like, well, you know, next time I'll be smarter. But I did go around that day and hand out cards to smaller companies. I don't even remember everyone I spoke to, but somehow one of my cards got to Mike McVeigh, who's one of the early privateer guys, and he was working on a project called Sedition Wars, which was one of the early successful Kickstarters, and he had reached out to do some sculpts for that project, some organic alien creature things. 
So I, uh, and this was, he reached out, I don't know, a month or so, two months afterwards. And I, and I wasn't overly familiar with him. And I had mentioned it to some friends who were like, oh yeah, he's a, you know, that's a name in the industry. People know who he is. So that's cool that you got that kind of contact. So I did that. I started working on those projects for him. While I was working on those projects, we started to get into the fall and Warfare Weekend. Well, it was War Machine Weekend at that time. War Machine Weekend was coming up. And the day before that show, let's see, it was, it was the Wednesday before War Machine Weekend was supposed to start. And Privateer put an ad out for a digital sculpture. And I happened to have taken that Thursday and Friday off. I wasn't planning on going to War Machine Weekend because I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't a big War Machine player at the time. And I happened to have that Thursday and Friday off. I reached out to one of my buddies here, Tim Simpson, who does, uh, he does some freelance writing for us. He's always been a, a big supporter of War Machine. And he was friends with DC, who was doing rules for Privateer at that time and also from St. Louis. And so I asked if he could reach out and see if maybe they'd give me an interview that weekend, which he did. And then, uh, yeah, Privateer told, told him that they'd give me a few minutes. And so they wanted me to come by on Friday morning before the show started. And so that's when I did Thursday, that Thursday, I got my portfolio together, got everything tidied up, got my resume updated and put in there. So I, I went to War Machine Weekend that Friday morning. And it was one of the rare shows where Ron Cruzy went to the show. He's our studio director and really doesn't he doesn't go to that many shows so he went to this one and i met him first and he glanced through my portfolio and within about five minutes he asked how i felt about moving to seattle so it was off to a good start and then uh i thought he was gonna blow me off and because he's like oh, i'm gonna walk outside for a minute i was like all right well i mean that went good but i'm going to uh, i guess i'll just hang out in here and he's like you want to come outside and hang out so we went out there we found out we had a lot of common interests like world war ii and world war ii games and historicals and things like that. So we hit it off great right away. And he was, Ron told me just, just hang out a little bit. He had to go into the hall and see some people, you know, and socialize and all that. And a bit, Ed Burrell, the creative director at the time was going to come down and he goes, I'll have Ed talk to you also. So Ed came down, we're sitting in the middle of the lobby of War Machine Weekend and everybody's milling about and walking around and Ed checks out my portfolio and, you know, right away, he kind of, kind of had a nice smile and he was, was like, well, let's give them a freelance project. So they gave me the zombie from Zombies Keep Out. Oh my God. I love that game so much. Yeah, it was, it's actually, it's a really great game. So I did that zombie and there were no issues with it. And it was around Thanksgiving at this point. And the, the college that I was teaching at that I actually attended, um, I was working on my master's in education at that time as a, as a backup plan. And they were having some issues and started laying people off based on how long they had been there. Well, I'd only, I'd only been teaching there for like a year and a half. So eventually my name came up and I got laid off in between my first and second interview. Well, the second interview, Ron assured me, he's like, I got, I got you for a second. You're my guy. Just hang in there. And we're trying to get everybody back from holiday. And so everybody comes back. They do the second interview. It was a bit of a, um, you could just tell that it was kind of thrown together kind of thing that he had already made up his mind. And so uh, they did the background check and everything came back clean. And a week or so later, I got my offer. And uh on the 1st of January, 2013, I was driving to Seattle. Next thing you know, you're moving, huh? Yes, exactly. I, I literally packed up my car, threw my dog, my junk in. My uh, wife at the time and my kid came up You know, a few months later after we made sure that they weren't going to send me pack in and were going to keep me. So, Well, as one of the, uh, I guess, the more senior people working at, at Privateer Press at this point, I know a lot of us really want to know a lot more nitty gritty stuff about like, 
how do they go from like concept art to you know design of a model to redesign the iteration of all that i know it i know it probably varies a lot from model to model but can you give us like a vague iterative process i guess for me it's for me it's about the same every time somebody has to come up with an idea somebody has to come up with some art and while they're until that's all done i don't i don't know anything so what if they have a faction they're working on they'll come up with some kind of brief about what the character is going to look like it might be something like uh you know it's a warjack with an axe in the right hand and an open left hand or something like that because the devs the devs aren't really worried about what it looks like that's not their side of things they're just making something that's like okay well we know they want a warjack and it's going to be ps19 axe and a uh, i don't know a ps13 fist or something like that you know they're going to have it it's all just written down well well they'll they'll pass it over to the art department then and we'll start working on concepts for it and there we work with several different concept artists andrea is probably our he's our staff artist and he's one of the best i've ever seen so I like to say that Andrea gets to do almost everything and Andrea will work up the concept, send in multiple versions of it, and then Matt and a few others will decide which version of that concept they want to use, what poses they want to use, and then they'll pass it along to sculpting to myself. Usually it goes through Ron first. Sometimes he'll look at it and they might talk about some production related issues or potential issues that we might need to change a few things or even when it, once the art comes to me, Ron and I might talk about what what could cause a problem or what what we should do differently or what we should do to help production. Because what what happens with the concepts artists, a lot of times the concept artist really doesn't think about the sculpt itself. So we'll get artists that see an open space and they're like, well, we'll put a squiggly line in here. And I don't know how to sculpt squiggly lines because it <laughs> you know it just doesn't register. But are or, or we we like a lot of detail. We like huge shoulder pads and we like layers upon layers of armor and cloth and armor and the more cloth and there's only so much you can put on a 30 35 millimeter model so at some point when there's seven layers of armor somebody has to decide that we need to make it four or five and that's usually what i do is when it comes to me i'll i'll kind of cut back on how much extra stuff is on there and also when it comes to a pose they'll send over a suggested pose and sometimes the shoulder pads are so big and the pose doesn't really take into account things like shoulder pads. So they'll have the arms up over their head, you know, in this dramatic sword swinging pose. And if you did that with some of our shoulder pads, they'd, they'd crush their skulls. So, Hey, Doug, can I actually ask when you're when you're developing the models and you're actually doing the poses and stuff, is it like you make a, and, and I only know like video game character rigging and stuff, is it like you make like a T-pose model and then you rig it? Or do you actually sculpt it in the pose that it's supposed to be in? You know that, I don't have a set way of doing it. So I, I don't rig any of the models. Rigging is, even when I did animation, rigging was just a pain. So it's I did- a totally different skill set. It, it is, and it's, and it's a skill set I have. It's just not worth the effort in ZBrush for a model that's never going to move. So usually what I do is, if I'm comfortable with the model, if it's a faction I've done it a lot of times and I know there's not going to be a lot of corrections on it, I'll just I'll just sculpt it in the pose. Now that doesn't mean that I don't have like a T-pose set up that I'll build armor on it. So I might take that T-pose, whatever template I use, you know, or, or mannequin that I use, I might have the T-pose set up and then I might use that same mannequin and 
and rough in a pose so I just know how it's going to look. And then I then I build the armor or I build the helmet or the head on that mannequin. And then I just grab it and move it over to my pose model. It's almost like I, I, the only thing I can compare it to is like um, dressing a doll or a paper doll or something like that where you just put on different – I don't know if you know remember that when from kids where uh, there would be like books – You'd have like a posed picture and they could put different clothes on it or hats or whatever. Anyway, I, I treat it almost like it's a mannequin and I might sculpt the chest plate on the T-pose mannequin. But then I immediately move it over to my my action pose and uh, that way the scale stays right. And especially if it's something that's symmetrical, like if I was doing a um, retribution armor that has etching or the, you know, like the little power etching on each side of the forearm, you know, and it's a... It's symmetrical. Well, I'll, I'll leave it symmetrical until I put that detail in there and then I'll move it to my pose model. Gotcha. You may not be following me on this. No, I, I mean, like, I, I know, like, at least, like, for, like, retribution models, they have, like, the, I, I don't know what they're called, but the little tiny, like, spheres and then they have, like, the, when you're saying the etchings are, like, the, the, the swirly bits that go around with, like, the little tiny. Like the, like the channels that are cut in, the, the lines. I don't, I don't know what to call them either. Etching sounds good. Yeah, I like etching. <laughs> and then and you were saying with these models with the design process when because andy absolutely loves sticking models together right it's your favorite thing i glue my fingers together regularly <laughs> when when you put these models together right who who makes the decision of we're going to set like the arm will fit into the shoulder or like the top of the chest will fit into the legs like how how does that engineering work is that your responsibility or is that physical manufacturing so when i when i build the model i try to keep in mind that someone has to engineer this model and the, the my first couple of years at privateer i did a lot of the engineering because we were new to digital sculpting and nobody really knew how to do it so they figured i did totally didn't i figured it out as i went but now we have we have dedicated people that do engineering right now Stu he does most of the engineering and he's done a great job he's done been doing it for several years now and by passing a model off to him, I, I don't have to stop an engineer because engineering is time consuming and he's he's on site so he can go to production and they can discuss how they want to break something down. For the most part, I'm eliminated that from that. But what I do is I try to build a model where it's easy for them to manipulate if they need to. If they need to move an arm around or change a shoulder pad, I try to keep I, I try to work in a lot of layers where it's easy for them to move those things around if they need to or or cut something out completely. But or what happens is I send the files from here up to HQ. They'll look at it with production and then production will tell them, all right, this is how we want to lay this out. This is going to work. This isn't going to work. This is never going to work. So we have to change something. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that happens. And so they, they'll go back and forth and figure it out. They'll do test prints, but um, the studio actually HQ decides how they're going to connect, what the connection point is going to look at, look like sometimes I'll, I, I mean, there might be significant changes. Usually there aren't, but, they may have to change something dramatically or change a pose completely and whatever whatever's going to make it work better for production. I know everybody has models they like, they, they think work perfectly and models that, you know, they despise putting together. Do you have any nightmares to share? Like any, any specific models that came out in the past couple of years or so that you just, it was really tough to get right? Or is there even like a faction? Because you said you're the digital sculptor. You do all the sculpts. Is there any factions that's just been difficult? Well, first time I'll, I'll clarify. I don't. I don't do all of the sculpts. We have a handful of freelancers that do work for us. There's way too many sculpts for me to do by myself. So I just happen to be a staff employee, which means they can send it back and forth to me as many times as they want, and I can't really say anything or complain because they send me a check every two weeks. <laughs> but as far as is there in recent years things that I've had some issues with. Yeah, there actually is. So 
I'm coming up on 10 years with Privateer. I've done hundreds of models at this point. And the only time I've ever had a project pulled from me where they had somebody else help out with it was working on the Aeternus Continuum for Warcaster. Mm. That's the Is that the black and red faction? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So their jack, the it might be a Marauder. It was so so I've, I've built war machine jacks for so long that I just assumed that it would be the same where it was a little more squat and a little more bulky. And these jacks aren't. They're more like a light jack. They're they're a little bit sleek. Yeah, sleek. Exactly. They're they're a little more sleek. And I just couldn't. Ron and I just could not come to happy grounds on this one. He saw it different than me. I saw it different than him. And we just we went back and forth and back and forth. And finally, he was like, I'm going to have somebody else finish this off because it it got to a point where we were just spending too much time on it. And I think if we were sitting in the same room like we used to, where we could, you know, I could move something around and he could sit there and go, yeah, that's it. That's what I want. I think we could have knocked it out in five or 10 minutes, but going back and forth with email and files and the way we work now, it just, we just couldn't, we just couldn't agree on anything. So, you know what that reminds me of or what it sounds like? Because uh, I, it reminds me of, like my relationship with my tattoo artist. It's like the same thing where like I'm emailing him back and forth. And we're trying to get the art just right. It, there's so much information that's lost in the communication. But then when I'm actually with him before he puts the stencil on me, I'm like, can you do this, do this, do this? And he actually understands what I mean. Like, it, it's amazing how, how much of a difference it is just to be in the same room with someone. Yeah, 100%. And and on my side, I'm, I'm I guess I'm an art guy. And Ron is... I mean, he's an art guy too, but he has to look at it from a more technical standpoint. And his job is to make sure it looks like the concept art, you know, at the end of the day. I, I mean, my job is to make it look like the concept also, but he's the one that gets in trouble for it if it doesn't. He's the one that that Wilson's going to come down on if it doesn't look like it's supposed to. So he has to nitpick and, and he also has to push us, um, any of the sculptors, but I know me especially – that last 10% of a sculpt, that's the difference between a good sculpt and a great sculpt. I need that push almost every time because by the time I'm at that point, I'm just tired of working on that particular model and I want to move on to something new. So he's always done a great job at pushing my buttons, whether it's a good way or a bad way, but always getting the most out of me. So, I mean, he and I have had a great relationship and sounds like it's a good, a good dynamic then. It, it is. It's great. But, but that model and then uh, also the, uh, there was one other model in uh, Eternus Continuum. I don't, I don't know what the deal was with me on that stretch, but there are two models that I did parts of and somebody else did parts of. And that's the only time I've ever had an issue with models. It's never, I mean, in 10 years, I've never had any, uh, any other projects pulled for me because they didn't like it or, and uh, I, I felt bad because I, I, I hate that I didn't hit the level of success that I wanted to, but at the same time, I, I mean, you forget it and move on and do the best you can on the next one. I mean, aesthetically, I, I actually really like the squatty, you know, steam jack kind of look. I, I play protector it. So I, I really like the, you know, slapped together, riveted metal steel plate kind of thing. Even the pro, even the, 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 uh, the ret stuff's a little too sleek for me. I was going to say the, uh, the ret stuff is kind of, if I had to say there was a sweet spot, the ret stuff is my sweet spot. Oh, that being said, the new Signar stuff—that's that's some sexy, that's some sexy work. I like the, uh, <laughs> I like that Signar light jack a lot. Yeah, the new Signar stuff looks amazing, and I hate Signar. So, <laughs> damn swans. So, would you say that Rhett was the faction that was your bread and butter? What made Rhett so good, or was there another faction that was the, the factions that I've done the most of for Hordes? It was Legion, and for War Machine, it was Retribution, and and really Retribution started right from when I started. The first model I ever did for them for War Machine was uh, Aurora 1. 
I remember walking in the doors my first day of privateer, and they're like, you know what Convergence of Cirrus is? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> Enjoy like, wings. <laughs> I was like, well, look at this piece of art. And it's one of the best concepts I had ever seen at that point. And I figured I was going to get sent back home within my 90 days. And But I went ahead and, and worked on it, and she turned out she turned out good. Not great, but but good. But right after that, I did the Earthbreaker, and then I think I started on my first Retribution models, which kind of I, – I did I did almost every Retribution model the last 10 years. I think they had a unit of infantry I didn't do, uh, the Rissavas, and um, there may have been one or two little things in there. But did you did you do Gareth 1? I did not. He was traditional before I started. Okay, gotcha. Because I was going to say, like, Gareth 1 was the reason why I ended up picking up the faction. I don't know. Like, just, like, his pose, just the way that he looked, I'm like, I don't know why, but this model just speaks to me, and that's literally why I picked the faction. Just, yeah, just one guy from that. Absolutely. And and I picked up Retribution myself just because I like, I, I just like the feel of them. There was there was something about the look and the feel, and uh, it was it was just something that clicked with me. And so that's what I went with for my, my main War Machine faction. And then for all these different projects that you do, whether if it's like a Warcaster or a Warlock, a, a, a Jack, a Beast, a Unit, what, what, like how long does the, one of these projects normally go? Like, let's say you get the concept art. We won't worry about all the back and forth unless you want to go talk about like the back and forth. But how long does like a project of creating a model from start to finish like normally take? Is it a few weeks? Is it a month? Everyone's a little different. And like right now I'm working on a bunch of different projects. So I, I really couldn't tell you how long it takes because... I send something over for review and I work on something else. And then that model comes back and I, I may go right back to it or I may wait a couple of days until I send the the next project in and then I go back. I, I don't really know. I've had, I've had days where I can knock out a model in one day. I've had times where I, it takes me two weeks to knock out a model. It, it just, it really varies. It depends on the complexity. It depends on how, how comfortable I am with that style. There's really no, good answer to that question no it's okay it's all right and uh andy did you want to ask a question now yeah i got a i got a little spoilery one can you tell us how many 80 millimeter bases you've worked on yet (laughs) zero damn it (laughs) (laughs) okay well and and then well i actually wasn't wondering because you're like talking about the amount of time for this i want to like ask about a unit because units have like the same model or relatively close looking model in different poses is it annoying to make a unit or is it fun to like have the different dynamic poses and and doing each one of them i hate working on units they're terrible uh historically it it actually if you look at my privateer press work you'll see that i haven't done a lot of units and i think maybe it's because i just got lucky or maybe i they're they're tough to work on i'm i'm working on a working on a unit right now and i I don't know. You have to you have to think about the different pose, and you're you're reusing some equipment, but some of it has to be different because you don't want to. You know, it's not going to be a clone, and it, it's a it's lot so, of detail you have to have in a very small space, I guess. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's tedious. It's just tedious making three or four or five sculpts of the same the same unit and posing it, and it, it, it it's just not my favorite. I'd rather so there, there's no glory in infantry. I don't, I don't think that's true. I, I, I personally, I really love when you have a unit of guys. Like, I love my unit of Idrians. The fact that there's they have at least three or four different poses for each one, and they all have, you know, the hodgepodge of stuff that they have on them. And they all have, you can all paint different hair colors and different, you know, different skin tones and stuff on all of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, when I say there's no glory, I, I mean it from a uh, from an artistic perspective, meaning um, I would rather do a Warjack or a Warcaster because... 
they're going to be a more prominent part of the army. Not, not that infantry, does, infantry doesn't have its place or anything like that. Just that if I had my choice, I'd rather do a Warjack or a, a war beast or a war caster. And then I wanted to ask though, because you talked about using ZBrush earlier. Have you found a lot of the digital tools? Like, cause you said the 3d modeling, right. Was the, was the, the future. Have you found like that technology to evolve over time and you've been keeping up with it or has ZBrush just been, consistently being updated like like have you used different like programs and stuff or or and and the reason why i want to ask this is that if you have aspiring artists that are interested in this line of work like what maybe programs they could play around with whether it be blender zbrush or what have you yeah so for me that that's tough for me to answer because i've been working with zbrush since 2009 i think and ZBrush is basically the the only sculpting software I've used. I went to school and used Maya for animation, but ZBrush is the only sculpting software. I know there's different uh, different software out there now, like Blender, for example. But I've never used any of that because I I picked up ZBrush. I paid for a full version of it in 2009, and I've never put another penny into it because every update's free and every new version is free and it's just a, it's great software. It does everything I need it to. So I, I don't have to look anywhere else. Doug, do you actually have like a favorite sculptor artist? Because with, with, with how like you were talking about like 3D printers earlier, right? And they're becoming a little bit more prominent with resin printers and FDM printers. There's this one Patreon, they're called Arch Villain Games. And the, the sculpts, they, they make my mouth water just with how much detail they end up showing on there. Do you have a favorite sculptor that you like or maybe who has inspired you and in, in some of the art that you end up creating? Uh, as far as sculptors go, it, it's... When I when I first started digitally, there were there were almost no digital guys. So a few of the traditional guys that were working for like Privateer, uh, whether it was freelance or full time, those guys were a big influence on me. Even though even though I stepped in to work with them, they had so many years of experience. They're guys like Patrick Keith, who did freelance work for us and has his own line of miniatures and 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 does work for other companies and. I always liked his style. He did some of that early retribution stuff. And then the, the employees that my coworkers at the time, a guy like Brian Dugas, who was one of the, I mean, he's still a great sculptor. Uh, he was one of the great traditional sculptors. He did like the Archangel and countless other models for Privateer over the years. He was, he was a great influence. His style was good. He was, he just knew how to do it. Ben Meisner was uh, the first digital sculptor at Privateer. So it was fun working next to another digital sculptor that was kind of figuring things out and then we also had michael jenkins who he's he's at one of the competitors now but that dude was he was just a phenom how good he was and so i just i was older than all of these guys and i'm also super competitive so <laughs> i tried i tried to learn as quick as i could because i didn't I, I just wanted to be as good as i could and those guys those guys definitely made me learn fast and up my game fast so you, you talked about the, your, the, the sculptor artist, right, and the, the competitive guys. Is there, is there a model, whether it's a privateer press model or something else, it, it's all right. They don't have to listen to it. Do you have a favorite sculptor? Yes, I do. All of mine. <laughs> no, no, I, I just, it's, uh, I would have to go with the Archangel. I think it's just a masterpiece. It's a centerpiece. It's, it's on my shelf in my basement. I love it. Yeah, I, mine is, uh, mine's. When I moved from Seattle back to Missouri, mine I left mine up in Seattle with my buddy Aaron because it's it's fully painted. It has double giant wings on it, and it wasn't going to survive that trip. So, sorry, can I ask about the paint job with it? I looked at it because it's the orange, yellow, the blue. Was it inspired by like the Avatar flying dragon things? 
hundred percent. It's a, a total copy of the, the Turok Makto or whatever it was. I like looked at that. I'm like, I know I've seen this. Did, did like, did you wet blend it or was that airbrush? It was, it's, it, it's all hand. Oh my gosh. That is beautiful blending in that. I could have sworn that that was airbrush. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's one of the better paint jobs I've done because I've had a few people ask, you know, about airbrushing. And I was like, nope, not airbrush, just patience. And then, Doug, a lot of us have been playing from all sorts of different times. We like Mark One, Mark Two, you know, what have you. And some of the models are really old. And I think back to the old brigands, like the Pharaoh brigands. They, they, they're all hunched over with their big old guns, and they look like they're just, you know, trudging forward. And then I go take a look at the new brigands, where they're in like dynamic poses and stuff. It's like the same with the Signar Arcane Tepes gun mages. When does PP decide to redo old sculpts to like make them look better, or even like the battle box caster? Yeah, there might be a couple different answers to that. I know my answer is when they need to look cooler, <laughs> but I also think that maybe if there's an update to that faction or there's a new theme list, the only models I thought that I can think of that I did were the Satixis Raiders when the Satixis got their theme update or whatever it was. And we, we redid the Raiders and uh, we had um, a All couple those of chains. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was actually something I was, I was super excited about doing because I, it's one of those models that you feel like you come full circle because I had the old ones and I got to work on the new ones. I, th I think there's just a time, a place. Sometimes we we have something sitting around that we're like, well, if we need to slot something in, we can slot these new sculpts in. But I don't think there's any real, uh, unless there's a theme force coming out for it or some kind of um, something that deals with it directly where it looks like there's a reason to redo it and a reason for people to buy another unit of it. Because once once people have a unit of, of models and they've painted them up and they've been using them for years, they may be less inclined to buy something new, even if it does look a lot better. That's what that's what new blood's for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely is. So speaking of new blood, I know that we have a couple of new players that are coming in and they're really excited to hear about all these new models. And even I find like some like players that have taken a break for four or five years, they're trying to get back into it and asking, you know, what's happening because they're hearing all the buzz. Can we ask you a couple of questions about what's what's going on with I guess the current things that you're working on that private press is uh, starting to put out. You can absolutely ask me questions, whether you get a good straight answer that's that's to be determined so we saw with the new signar and kdor spoilers with the 80 millimeter base models what looks like one's kind of a solo riding on a beast and then you have some vehicles and stuff like that what, what kind of design spaces is open up for with these 80 millimeter i guess they're solos is that what they are do, do we know and the only other time i saw 80 millimeter bases i think was warcaster right because they had the vehicles in there as well so we we've, we've talked about doing 80 millimeter bases for years and years and years like like even from my early days of joining privateer ron and i would talk about how cool it would be to have that in between base you know that in between the 50 and the 120 whether it was for jacks or larger beasts or just something more imposing, but not as huge as a colossal. And so I, I think it definitely opens up a lot of room. I would love to see some beasts and some war jacks on 80 millimeter bases that fill up those bases. So I, I'm hopeful. I've only seen, um, well, I may have seen more than what you've seen, but the the Orgoth model looks fantastic on, on 80 millimeter. And I know they're there may be other stuff like that coming. So I think 80 millimeter opens up a lot of opportunity and a lot of design space. I know you guys love that word. <laughs> <laughs> it totally makes sense for like an in-between Jack too. Cause you look at something like the behemoth or, or even like Mulg, 
and they kind of just envelop the, that 50 millimeter base and just overhang like a lot. It's just like this was made to be a, a big imposing piece that you just couldn't get any. It's no larger base size in the game for it. Yeah, because it feels like Colossals. There are times on the coloss- on the table where I feel like a Colossal takes up a little too much space. But I want something bigger than 50 mil. Okay, and then uh, for fluff-wise, I believe the Orgoth invasion happened five years right after the infernal invasion if that i think that's like the timeline that i'm seeing and we see that kator has this tank and signar has like this beefier tech like is, is the design space for these new models that five years have gone by we have five years of technology forward and that's influencing the design of these models for the war machine factions i don't know exact timelines but i can assure you that as time goes by the technology does get a little bit a little bit better so um yes let's go with time has influenced the design on these <laughs> these uh the storm legion and the orgoth and uh, whatever else we've shown that i don't want to say anything okay it's fine <laughs> and then what about for hordes and because like i know it's been very much of a primal look this actually this question actually comes from one of uh, our local players with with designing stuff and we're doing this technology with hordes as well how do you stay true to the aesthetics of that faction that made it like look the way they did like i think like the black clads or what is it what are they called the 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 praetorians for scorn oh that's a good question yeah, that's actually a great question. Same within the faction and trying to keep that look, especially over all the years and with different creative people involved. There's that. That's where a guy like Ron or a guy like Matt comes in, and they they keep the the art people focused on what what defines that faction. So even going into the to the future with factions, there's still an aesthetic that we try to stick to, even if it's a new one. We we define that early on and try to make sure that you know what faction you're looking at. Occasionally, well, there'll be something that doesn't make sense or may not fit, and there may or may not be a reason for that. But but in the current day and age, we we try to stay pretty close to what the expected aesthetic is for that faction. All right, so of the new stuff that's coming out, what's your favorite model that you've worked on that hasn't been released yet? Well, the new stuff all looks really great, but the... The new stuff that I'm working on, nobody's seen anything of. There's no art. There's no models. And I can tell you I have a lot of them on my desk that I'm working on right now. So I'm super excited about sharing that and showing what I've been working on. I can tell you that one of the models that I finished up today, I can't tell you the faction or anything like that. But I think it is. it could be some of my best work. Maybe my best work. I, I just... I love the way the, this uh, this model has turned out. Oh my gosh! Everyone's very excited for the future right now. We're all we're all looking we're all looking towards hopefully the the fall sometime, but we'll see how it goes. Well, I think the, the thing we keep on hearing is Gen Con, am I right? I I don't know the release schedule. That's not my department, but I can tell you that as these new models come out, like uh, like as Orgoth and Storm Legion. I am dying to get my hands on those models and get them on the table. Um, I, like I, think, I think Paul's planning on buying the entire faction. I plan on getting Orgoth, yeah. <laughs> you and me both. I, I, <laughs> and I had them at, uh, at Adepticon. I, they gave me the case to keep in my room. And I'm like, you sure you want to do this? Because I want these models really bad. Doug, that was a lot of fun stuff to go and talk about. And really, really appreciate your time coming on to Tried and True. And this is getting us to the end of the interview. And we want to know if you had any closing remarks or anything else you wanted to share. Yeah, actually, I have a closing remark. And that is, I'm sure I'm going to talk to you real soon. Because you're going to want to talk a lot very soon. <laughs> oh my god i'm so excited yeah me too okay 
Well, with that, Doug, thank you again for coming on to Tried and True. I'm hoping that people really enjoyed listening to you and your insight on the process of making these 3D models. I think I think a lot of us think that it's just like a, hey, the model gets made and, and you call it a day. And it was just so... It's so enlightening to be able to see all the little tiny steps and all the little, just, just the back and forth communication between making all these things. Like it- yeah, there's a lot to it. And I'm always happy to share. And I appreciate you guys having me on. I've been listening to your podcast. In fact, I'm in the middle of your interview with Lauren. So, and I always like to hear what Lauren's up to. One of my favorite people to catch up with at conventions, which speaking of conventions, I hope that some of your listeners will come by the privateer booth at Gen Con and say hello and BS with me for a little bit. And with that, that's going to go ahead and conclude this episode of Tried and True. On the next episode, we have one more guest coming on and he's going to go ahead and talk about what he does. And that will conclude our deep dive into Privateer Press. So from all of us here in Delaware, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode. See everybody. Bye. Bye.